In this unusual Christmas message, we listen in on an imaginary conversation between a billionaire and God. Bill questions and God answers. Coming to be the savior of the world. And many of us know the message the angel brought to Joseph and Mary saying, Call his name Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus simply means Savior. The Bible tells us that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So why did Jesus come? He came to be the Savior of the world. Now I want you to think with me this morning and just kind of pretend and imagine a little bit with me this morning. So the question I want to ask here is, do we really need a Savior? Do you need a Savior? What about people in our world today? Does the world really need a Savior? What about people who are really rich? They have money. They've got everything going in their lives. Many of us are here. We've got money. We've got a good family, a good home. You've got your retirement all taken care of. The life may seem picture perfect. So do you need a savior? Think about all the millionaires and the billionaires in our world. I don't whether it's Mark or Tim or Bill, doesn't matter. Do they need a savior? Everything is going good in their lives. Everything is perfect. Or think about the religious people, the morally upright people. Everything is going fine. I mean, they're doing a lot of good. Do they need a savior? So imagine having a one-on-one with God. Let's say this is your FaceTime with God. You're doing FaceTime, one-on-one, you and God. You're having a conversation with God. And let's say, you know, you're you're having this one-on-one with God and, and you say, God, everything is perfect in my life. I've got money. I've got a nice family. I've got a good home. I'm doing a lot of good. I don't need a savior, God. I mean, you sent Jesus to be savior, but... I don't need a savior. So God looks at you and me, or it could be anyone, having this conversation with God. And God says, let's just pretend saying, you know, my name's Bill. So God says, Bill, you need a savior. And I sent Jesus to be your savior. So Bill looks back to God and says, God, I mean, save me from what? Save me from what? Why do I need a Savior? God, don't you know that I've lived and I'm living a pretty good life? I don't, I'm not committing murder, no adultery. I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't do any of those things. In fact, a good portion of my fortune, I'm blessing nations. I'm funding projects all over the world. 
to help humanitarian causes. God, I'm doing so much good. Why do I need a savior? But God says, Bill, but you need a savior, Bill. But God, I, I think I'm pretty good. I'm self-sufficient. I've got everything. Why do I need a savior? Bill, your life is picture perfect. Many envy the life you're living. But Bill, when I look at you, I see things which people don't see. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outside. But Bill, I look at the heart. I see everything that's happening behind the scenes, beneath the surface. I see the pride. I see the anger. I see the hatred. I see the evil thoughts. I see everything that's going on behind the scenes, Bill. And I am so perfect that even one of those wrong things would disqualify you from my presence. Even one. So Bill looks at God and says, okay, God, I think I'm getting it. Yeah, I remember things I've done, which maybe not many others know. I remember all those things. But, uh, but God, you know, look at all the good that I'm doing. I'm feeding literally thousands of people around the world. I'm providing money for the poor in Africa. I'm educating people in India. I'm funding all these projects around the world. I mean, wouldn't all that compensate somehow for these petty things you're talking about? My heart attitudes and pride and all that. I mean, those are so small things. Wouldn't all this good that I'm doing around the world compensate for all of that? God looks at Bill and says, Bill, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. But my standard of holiness and my standard of righteousness is so high, Bill, that you don't understand it. And if I were to say this, and I don't mean to insult you, Bill, but... Your best actions, Bill, in my sight, are really like filthy rags. God, no one's told me that. But Bill, that's what I want you to know. That the highest good that you do, when compared to my standards, they are really like filthy rags. Because that's how holy I am. That's how pure I am. And sometimes, Bill, I see through the actions. I see that sometimes even the good you do is motivated out of wrong intent. Sometimes it's motivated to outdo somebody else who is doing good. So even though the good is being done, the motivation is still wrong. And I see that. So Bill says, okay, God, I understand. And Bill, I want you to understand the consequence of the wrong that's in every person's life, in your life, in every person's life. The wrong that's in you disconnects you from God, from me, Bill. We just can't have a relationship, the kind of relationship that I really want to have with you, with every person. Because the wrong that we do, that you do, 
disconnects you from a relationship with me. And Bill, I am so intensely holy that nothing sinful can enter my presence. So unfortunately, Bill, I have to tell you, I have to point to you, point you to what I put in my words. That the result of sin, the result of wrong is death. It's eternal separation from God and hell. So Bill looks at God and says, God, you know, I really don't believe heaven and hell, God. I mean, this is not getting too spooky for me. Wait, God, I have a question for you. God, I do go to church once a year on Christmas Day. Some years I'd make it twice. I do go on Easter too. But God, church is so boring. And not only that, even though I call myself a Christian, I don't really believe that you're there, God. I mean, I haven't seen any evidence that you're there. In fact, everything that goes on in church these days makes me feel more and more you're not there. I mean, haven't you read the Archbishop of England? Even he is questioning your existence. So God, how do I know that you are really there? Good question, Bill. Bill, the fact is, every morning, every night, I'm staring you in the face. You're just not seeing me. So what do you mean, God? Bill, I've said in my word that my invisible attributes, my infinite power and my Godhead is displayed in all of my creation. And creation is staring you in the face night and day. Saying, I am here. You say, God, what do you mean? I don't understand that. I mean, what do you mean creation is telling me you're there? So God says, Bill, I know you dropped out of college, but I know you're a really intelligent man. A very smart man. Do you realize, Bill, that... I mean, Bill, if I spoke to you and I told you that the operating system, which now was in version 10... It just all happened. I mean, all those pieces of code just came together. And somehow it all just fit nicely into this hardware. And that also, the hardware all just came together. Would you believe me, Bill, if I told you that? Of course not, God. I've got thousands of engineers working all over the world, especially in India. They write the code. I mean, I have designers designing the code first. Then they write it. Then it's tested. And we've had to do so many iterations before we could reach where we are today, God. Definitely, if anybody told me that my operating system just came together like that and just nicely dovetailed into the hardware, but just assembled itself by chance over millions of years of just happening together, I would never believe it. See, Paul, you're an intelligent man. But yet you've bought into the lie of your biology teacher who told you that people just happened. That through trillions of years of some process which they really can't define and they theorize a lot, that out of some pool of carbon atoms floating somewhere, over billions of years came this beautiful intelligent body called you. So think about it. Can lifeless matter give birth to intelligence? Of course not, God. 
Can something come out of nothing? Can moral consciousness come out of empty space? Of course not, God. Ah, Bill, you're understanding now. And you remember what you learned in physics. You know that in the universe, there are more than 30 parameters that are so precisely calibrated that even if one of them had to lose its calibration, go out of place by one trillionth of a trillionth, the whole world will collapse. Think about gravity. You know, Bill, gravity is so precise that if you had a ruler as infinite as the universe and it was calibrated at one inch interval, if the force of gravity were to move by just one inch, this whole universe will collapse. Do you know, Bill, that the energy density of space is so precise that if it moves a little bit to the negative, the whole universe will come, be pulled in together. If it moves even one trillionth of a trillionth to the increase, if it increases by one trillionth of a trillionth, all of the universe will be thrown far and wide. Do you know, Bill? I put the planet Earth so precisely in its place from the sun that even if a slight dislocation of the planet away from where it is right now, life on earth would cease to exist. Do you think all this happened by chance, Bill? I think about it, God. You're making me think. And look at your own human body, Bill. The DNA in every person is a marvel. It's made of protein molecules. And these amino acids that make up these protein molecules are so accurately assembled. The probability of that happening by chance is as good as taking a box of scrapple and throwing it on the ground and expecting a perfect world, perfectly written book to emerge out of it. Do you think that would happen, Bill? Do you want to give it a try? I don't think so. So you see, Bill, I'm staring you in the face morning and night, letting you know that I'm there. Okay, God. Now, let's come back to this thing about me needing a savior. I mean, God, can I not just make my own way? I mean, can I not just save myself? Yeah, I've done wrong things, but can I find my own way to salvation? I mean, I can travel to India and sit under the tree there. And, or maybe up on the Himalayas or I could do something like that, God. In fact, my friend Steve did try it. Bill. No one else can save you because every man, every woman on this earth has their own sin, their own wrong to deal with. So you can't find a savior anywhere else. Okay, God, I have one more question. If you are so infinite, why are you so narrow-minded, God? I mean, if you are so infinite, shouldn't you have given people many options? Shouldn't this saying be true that all roads should lead to you? Like they say, all roads lead to Rome. 
And why are you so narrow-minded? Why do Christians say that there is only one way of salvation? I mean, you're an infinite God. You should have given people infinite options to reach you. God says, Bill, that's a good question. Bill, I'm God. I don't need to have many iterations or many attempts at doing something like you do. When I do it, I do it once. And I do it right. And I do it absolutely right. So in order to rescue man, I had to do it only once. I am not like man that have to make several attempts to get it right. And I did it once. And I sent my son, Jesus, into this world to be the savior. He stepped in. He did the work. He completed everything. He finished. And so, all I'm asking is for people to embrace my one, final, only, complete offer of salvation. If I had to keep making several attempts, Bill, it would mean that each previous attempt was flawed. So, Bill... There's only one way, only one salvation, only one hope. It's in the one person I sent, my own son, Jesus Christ. Bill says, hmm, yeah, I wish my software worked that way, God. But God, I have one more question. I mean, if Jesus came to be the savior of the world, I think he did a pretty bad job. Because God, if you haven't been watching the news, I have. And the world's really messed up today. I mean, think about all the fighting. Think about what's happening in the Middle East. Think about people who have been displaced and these refugees having to find home and how many lives are lost. And think about the killing, the violence, and the, the random shooting. And God, what, what a world you've created. It's messed up bad. I don't think Jesus really saved the world. Well, here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus came the first time, he came to save you on the inside. He came to change man at the heart level. He came as savior. And he came not to force his way into people's lives, but he came to be invited into their lives. That's why... I've mentioned in my book that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as who did receive him, I gave them the power to become the children of God. But Bill, if you've read the rest of my book, you see that this same Jesus is coming again. He's going to establish his throne. He's going to set up a kingdom. And there's a time coming And there will be new heavens and a new earth. In the closing chapters of my book, I've mentioned, Bill, that one day I will wipe away every tear from every eye. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death. There's a grand finale coming. So don't let what you see today rob you of the opportunity that awaits you. So today, all I want you to do is, Bill, Embrace Jesus willingly as Savior. Because the next time you see him, you will see him not just as Savior, but as King of Kings. As Lord of Lords. You will see him come as 
the omnipotent one, the eternal king, before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge that he is Lord. So FaceTime ends. And we come back here now to you and me. If you had that conversation with God, how would you end it? Would you say, God, I now understand what you said, what you meant when you said you've sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. And I now understand what you meant when you said there is salvation in nobody else because there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. I now understand what the Bible means when it says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I now understand what I'm supposed to do. That right here and now, I'm supposed to embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior so that I can be ready to meet Him as my King. We're going to close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. Just call our worship team up, please. This morning, if you were to have a conversation with God and you go through some reasoning similar to what I tried to capture here in these last few moments, would you arrive at that place where you're convinced that you personally need a Savior? Jesus coming into this world to be our Savior. It's not just a nice Christmas story. It's not a cliche. It's not a phrase. It's the whole grand purpose of God for you and for me. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to as many as who received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. To them, he gave new life. He caused them to be born again. He caused them to be born into his family, the family of God. The work Jesus is doing today is internal. It's in our hearts giving us salvation. And that's what he wants to do for you and me. We all need a savior. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only savior Because God had to do this just once and it's done. The question I want to ask each one of us this morning. Have you embraced, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you told him? Have you had a conversation with him? Saying, I want you to be my Savior. Forgive me from my sin, my wrongdoing. I may not have done any grievous crime. I may not have killed or murdered or robbed. Or, but yet I need a savior. If there's anyone here this morning, you feel in your heart that you would like to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your savior. If you would like Jesus to come in and forgive you your sins and wash your sins away and put you in right standing with God and bring you into the family of God. If you would like to do that. Then I would like to lead you in a conversation with Jesus. 
just give you some words for you to speak to the Lord and make this prayer. May you invite him in as your Lord, your Savior and say, Lord, from this day, I want to live for your purpose. I want to live for you. If there's anyone here this morning and you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, could you pray this prayer with me right where you are, please? If you've never done this before, or maybe you just want to recommit your life to Jesus and embrace Him as your Savior and follow Him and live for Him, could you just pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I embrace you this morning as my Savior. Forgive me for the wrong I have done. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. That you were buried and that you rose up again. Come into my life. Save me. Make me a child of God. And help me to live for your purpose. For the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus, who is our Savior. We ask, O oh Lord God, that you will help us take this message to our city, to our nation, and even to the nations of this world. Father, we pray that every heart will know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Use us, Lord, to do our part in bringing this message of salvation to as many as we can. Use us. Make us bold. Make us fearless. Make us adventurous as we step out to bring good news to all people. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy your lunch. Have a great day. See you again on Sunday. God bless. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.